0: Welcome back to the Gladiators Den podcast for episode number two. Today we're going to look at the key takeaway points from the UFC 285, the general consensus surrounding MMA GOATS, the Ultimate Fighter and Conor McGregor and much much more. Without further ado, let's get to it. So over the weekend, we finally had the return after three years out of John Jones, our new world heavyweight champion. Now, this event didn't feel like the standard monthly pay-per-view that we're used to. It had a buzz about it that transcended the, the usual hardcore MMA fans. If you're on social media, it's... The sport that everybody was only talking about, it was the UFC, John Jones, World Heavyweight Championship. It wasn't overshadowed by any other sporting events that it usually is. People had tuned in just to see John Jones fight. Albeit, half of them just to see him lose, but people were tuning in just to see the return. People wanted to see if he still had it. People wanted to see him fail. People... People were excited for for this fight, for this event. But it really did have that old John Jones effect, so to speak. Or the Conor McGregor type card. So this in itself was a success for the UFC. But it's also a success and a huge opportunity for all the fighters that were on that card. It gave them such a big platform to promote themselves. It gave them a big platform to give that that breakout performance to make a statement, so to speak. And which many of them did. Of course, Jones capturing the title in the fashion that he did, which we'll get to soon. We had Alexa Grasso with one of the biggest upsets in women's MMA. Shavka Rachmanov and Jeff Neal as well. His stock certainly went up even though he lost and missed weight which I think due to his performance, people are just forgetting that he missed weight. Even Dana White gave him the performance bonus for Fight of the Night, even though he missed weight, going back on his rule that he's implemented throughout the entirety of the UFC. We, of course, had the debut of Bo Nickel and Ian Gary's viral knockout as well. So we're going to get to all those soon. But of course, first we're going to have to delve deeper and look into John Jones, the GOAT of MMA. So not only is what Jones did incredible, like he absolutely smoked Gane; It wasn't even close. He, he made it look so easy. And after three years away, he looked like ring rust wasn't even a thing. So now he is the new champion, making him only the eighth champion in the UFC to hold two belts in multiple weight classes. We had Randy Couture, BJ Penn, Conor McGregor, George St. Pierre, Daniel Cormier, Amanda Nunes, and uh, Henry Cejudo, yeah. So that's eight. And now we have John Jones. So not only is he solidifying his legacy, he's doing what not many people have ever done in the history of the UFC. And it's not like he had an easy way to the title. Of course, we didn't get to see him fight Ngannou, which is the fight that everybody would have liked to see. But Garnet was the next best thing. Stipe arguably should have been um, the guy to step in. And for whatever reason, it wasn't Stipe. Now, I don't know the reason why, so I can't say. But if we're to assume that Stipe wasn't available, then Gane is the best option, right? There's an argument for Curtis Blades, who... Stylistically would have been a tougher matchup for Jones, given his wrestling ability. But, albeit, Gane is the fourth best heavyweight in the world at worst. Third, maybe? A third? Yeah, so, it's... He didn't have an easy route to the title, although it was a good opposition and matchup for Jones... Because Gane is heavily going to lean on his kickboxing and his striking, and Jones is obviously known for his wrestling, we all kind of knew that if Jones had got a hold of him or Jones is able to take him down, then that's when he's, we're going to have problems. If Nganu can out wrestle Gane with one knee, then what can Jones at heavyweight do? But there was just so many unanswered questions going into the fight. We didn't know if Jones had been training properly. We saw those photos from the press where he was looking kind of fluffy. He didn't look really to be that muscular. People were teasing him in the press conference and online. He didn't look as though... He didn't look as athletic as he did in the past. So we didn't know if he was going to keep his speed, if he was going to keep the athleticism that made him what he is. So bulking up to a new weight class, especially when you're putting on, what did he weigh in at like 247 or something? When you're putting on like 35 pounds, just don't know what we're going to get as the final product. So... Yeah, I do believe Garnet was a good matchup for Jones to go in there and prove himself, so to speak. But I didn't imagine he was going to do it in this fashion. Now, I did have Jones winning before the fight. I was a big advocate for Jones' the best ever. He's still the best, and he's going to prove it. But I thought it would take him a few rounds to grind Garnet down. Now, we should also note that Jones didn't go for the takedown. Jones was happy to stand and strike. Now, we didn't get to see that much of the fight. But if you recall, it wasn't Jones that shot for the takedown. Gane overextended with the left. Jones slipped it and then took him down. So it was Gane's mistake that led to the takedown. It wasn't as though Jones was shooting for a double leg in the center of the cage. Jones was ready to throw and bang. So, Jones... That shows that Jones has confidence in his striking still. Against a mobile striker like Gane, who moves around quickly, the fact that Jones was willing to strike with him at the beginning shows that Jones was ready to test himself, which speaks credit to his confidence and his his ability in general. So yeah, the only thing for me is, from a selfish point of view, I wish that we got to see more of that fight. We've been waiting for Jon Jones for three years to return. It's It baffles me how some of the newer MMA fans have, have never even seen Jon Jones because the UFC and MMA in general saw a boom during the COVID period because the UFC was the first sporting event to be televised back during the pandemic. So there's a bunch of MMA fans that... Have never seen Jones fight. They have only seen clips or heard stories and stuff like that. And it doesn't-it doesn't capture the same feeling when you're re-watching fights on YouTube or you're re-watching fights on TV. To to witness it live, even if it's on TV, you get soaked up in the atmosphere, you get soaked up in in the whole mystery of what's gonna happen. It's why watching Live sports in general is so good, especially if you're with people and you're talking, there's a buzz about it, you're making your predictions and stuff. So there's a bunch of fans that don't even know who Jones is or know what he's done. And the other half of the fans have been waiting for Jones to come back. And then for it just to be over in two minutes, it was it was kind of bittersweet. It's like, wow, he's still amazing. He's done it. He got the first round finish. He's however many years since he's had a first round finish, like five, six, even longer since he's had a first round submission win. So yeah, Jones Jones is back. And it's just, it's so impressive when you think back to his previous three fights against OSP, uh, Santos and Reyes, Reyes, which he arguably lost the one against Reyes. That's the most controversial, I think, in his whole career. For me, I, I had Jones winning 3-2, but there's it's so split down the MMA community that so many people think that Reyes won. He They're not world beaters. Santos ruined his knees in that fight. He was essentially fighting with no knees. Reyes, we've seen a considerable downfall since the Jones fight. Now... Is that a product of the fight with Jones? Is his mental capacity not the same? It's, it's hard to say. But those three fighters are not the world beaters that Jones fought coming up in his career that he beat. And it led us all to believe that maybe Jones has, you know, he's hit that plateau. He's not getting any better. He's going to start to, you know, to just not be as good. It's the whole father time catches up with everyone. It's that whole concept. But coming back against Gane in the way he did, he just proved everyone wrong. He essentially proved that what he was saying about being unmotivated for the fights is true. He's He's one of a kind. He's a one of a kind athlete. He literally is incredible. So let's look at some of the stats surrounding John Jones. He has fought in 15. Sorry. 16 title fights now. 16 title fights. Some of the most successful fighters in the UFC. Don't even have 16 fights. Or 16 wins. It, it baffles me. How some people argue that John Jones is not the best to ever do it. Which, we're going to get into that discussion shortly. I just need to finish my brown nosing off John Jones. Because I don't think people appreciate what he's done and who he is because of his antics outside of the UFC. So, yeah, 16 title fights. He was the youngest ever UFC champion at 22 years old. He's the current oldest UFC champion at 35 years old. So to to go from being the youngest ever, reign as the champion for over 10 years, undefeated. Uh, I don't care about the the disqualification loss. Everybody knows that that fight should have been stopped, and even Dana White's gone as far as saying that he's tried or he's trying to get that that loss overturned. So coming back after giving up the title after three years, going up to the heavyweight division, which is arguably the most dangerous division, and then winning as the oldest current UFC champion. So, yeah, I mean, I just don't understand how how people don't appreciate Jon Jones for what he is. Now, he is a piece of shit, let's be honest. He ran over a pregnant lady, he's beat his wife, he's been caught with banned substances. The guy is a a terrible person, but he's a great fighter. You've got to separate the art from the artist and then you can appreciate his work. So as long as we, we don't get too caught up on his antics outside of the cage and let that affect your opinion on his work, then we can all appreciate that he is the best. So before we move on, let's look at what's next for John Jones. So I'm recording this podcast on Tuesday and it was announced earlier this morning that Jones versus Stipe is official for International Fight Week on the 8th of July. Now, Stipe was in the audience for the fight with Gane. Now, this is an interesting matchup because Jones won't be able to do to Stipe what he did to Gane. He won't be able to just slice through him with his wrestling. Stipe is an elite grappler. We saw that when he manhandled Nganou in their first fight. Nganou is one of the few heavyweights that probably has to cut down to reach the 265 pound limit. There's not many athletes that do that. And Stepe manhandled him in their first fight. So, you would expect Jones would have the the edge in the in standup. So, his game plan going into that fight is probably going to be to stand. So we will find we will get to see. Hopefully, we will get to see that side of Jones that we didn't get to see in his fight over the weekend. Now, what's interesting is in Stipe's second fight with Gane, he came in at 233 pounds, I believe, and he said um, something along the lines of, I'm paraphrasing, he said something along the lines of, I'm giving I'm giving myself a disadvantage by not taking advantage of the weight limit, I'm coming in weighing at 233 pounds, fighting guys like Ngannou who are coming in at 265 pounds, so... In his time off since their fight, he's also been doing what John Jones did and he's been bulking up. He's said that he weighs 253 pounds. And Anthony Smith just said on Ariel Helwani's podcast that he can vouch for this weight gain. So, Stipe's been putting in the work as well. is going to be a bigger, stronger guy, which is going to make the fight even more interesting. So, Stipe versus Jones is an excellent matchup. Stipe is... My opinion, the greatest heavyweight to ever do it, his his win against DC in their rematch, his first win against Nganou, he has by far proven that he's the best heavyweight. So it makes sense for Jones to go after Stipe next. I think Stipe even, uh, sorry, Jones even said, um, I've come back, I've won the belt, now it's time to go for the best ever in the heavyweight division. And then he's probably going to retire, let's be honest. We all know he signed the seven or eight fight deal before he fought Gane. He's never going to fight seven or eight fights. Now, there's an argument to make that at his age at 35 in the heavyweight division, if he doesn't take too much damage, he could probably get a couple of years, a couple more years out of him. But you don't want to run the risk of ruining your legacy because people, especially for the next few years, are only going to remember your last few fights. There's a huge recency bias in this sport, where you're you're essentially only as good as your last fight. Now, in an unforgiving sport like MMA, you you very rarely get to leave out on top. For example, let's look at Anderson Silva, one of the best to ever do it in my top three. His last few fights didn't look great. He got beat by Jake Paul in a boxing fight. Now, it doesn't ruin his legacy, but it doesn't look good. There's only very few fighters that know when is the right time to quit. GSP, for example. People, they they test themselves a little bit too much. So, if Jones retires after the Stipe fight, I think that's perfect. The only fight for me outside of Stipe is Nganu that I would like to see. And that's only because... Nganu for me is the best heavyweight in the world at the moment outside of John Jones. I would still take John Jones as to winning that fight, but outside of John Jones, Nganu is the best soul. Other than Stipe, that's the only person I would like to see him fight. Now, he did the right thing choosing to fight Stipe next because, one, Stipe deserves the rematch. After losing his title in his last fight to Nganou. Angano's walked away from the UFC. So it's only natural for Stipe to fight. But I think the up-and-comers in the heavyweight division. The Curtis Blades. The Sergei Pavloviches, They are incredibly tough fights for Jones. Fights that you don't want to risk. An aging Stipe Miocic is a much safer fight. a Bigger money fight and it's better for your legacy than fighting these up and coming these younger guys so yeah that's my my 50 pence on John Jones so we'll come back to Jones when we discuss the goats of the UFC I want to highlight some of the key performers from the weekends card and let's delve a little deeper into what's next for some of these fighters because we had so many good performers and so many good performances sorry it's it's like I said in the intro, it's just it's such a good platform to to make a to make a statement and to get your name out there. Particularly when you're fighting on the main card and you know people are starting to tune in, numbers are getting higher as the Jones fight is approaching. So yeah, let's let's move on. Let's have a look at Alexa Grasso's victory over Shevchenko. Because not only was it one of the biggest upsets on the card, it was one of the biggest upsets in women's MMA. And what was most impressive for me is it wasn't one of those upsets that we, we've we previously seen in title fights where it was a, a flash knockout. It was a Hail Mary for the win. Like when Leon Edwards knocked out Usman, let's be honest... Edwards won the first round, but Usman was convincingly winning the rest of the fight. He, he, if we forget the first round, he lost about 10 seconds of that fight. Uh, Juliana Pena against Amanda Nunes. Um, Matt Serra against GSP, that also comes to mind. The Weidman knockout on Anderson Silva. These were all huge underdogs that won, but it wasn't as though they won convincingly. Now, of course, there has been times where an underdog has won convincingly. But in this case, Grasso was very competitive for the whole fight. I was scoring the fight as it was happening. And I did have Shevchenko up 2-1. So if she wasn't to have been submitted in the fourth like she was, then and we gave the round to Grasso, it would have gone into the final round at 2-2. Which... Given the implications before the fight, that in itself... If someone had told you before the fight that they would have been going into the 5th round at 2-2... You would have been absolutely shocked. So, for Grasso to actually win and win by submission is almost unthinkable. So yeah, let's have a look at that fight quickly before we move on. So, Alexa Grasso's win makes her the 3rd Mexican Champion... Ever And the first woman's Mexican champion. So I think it's fair to assume that the UFC is... Gonna have a card in Mexico this year. The only issue I see is... Can you have three title fights on a card? I mean... I can't think off the top of my head of a card that's had three title fights before. And... Yeah, I mean it would be difficult but... Yeah, it's amazing how... In this year alone, Mexico has had three champions. So, in the fight, Alexa Grasso's stand-up was... It was on point. It's as as we expected. Uh, I made a YouTube video earlier in the week about how... Alexa Grasso's boxing was going to be her main weapon. So, I thought that Shevchenko would try and take the fight to the ground and... Implement her grappling and her jiu-jitsu. So... To For her to lose by submission was such a shock. But yeah, in the stand-up, Grasso looked comfortable. She was doing damage. She... I think she won the first round. And Shevchenko's a killer. She comes from years and years of kickboxing. And Muay Thai. she is an absolute killer. So, I knew Grasso's boxing and stand-up was crisp, but she was really, really impressive. Um... Going into the fight, Shevchenko did have a couple of question marks regarding her last fight with Talia Santos. So, I was concerned to see if we was finally seeing a slight drop-off in Shevchenko, but I don't think we saw that. I think Shevchenko was the same Shevchenko we've seen. She was amazing. It's just Grasso was also that good. Now, we've seen... More in women's MMA, because of the smaller athlete pool, that certain women have these these surges of dominance. And I think finally, with the growth of the popularity of the sport, we're now seeing women catch up. Because you have the Shevchenkos, the Amanda Nuneses, the Ronda Rouses, people that have a background of lifelong MMA. Oh, Sorry. A lifelong background in martial arts. They had the huge advantage in the early days. But now these younger athletes are coming through. Who are more evolved in all disciplines. They're starting to make these waves. They're starting to make statements. So Alexa Grasso, Aaron Blanchfield. People like that. So yeah. Um, the question is that... Right. Does she get an immediate rematch? I I don't like immediate rematches personally. Now, I understand them. I just feel like if a champion is given an immediate rematch and they win, it discredits the win. Now, becoming a world champion is most likely the biggest achievement that they're ever going to have in their entire life. To lose it... In a rematch. I think it just discredits the win. It's almost as if saying. You got lucky. You didn't deserve it. Now. The argument on the flip side is. If a champion is. Dominant for so many years. They should be given a chance to reclaim. They should be given a chance to make improvements. They might have just made a mistake on the night. Etc. Etc. So I do get it. I just am not a big fan of it. I think. I think you should win one, maybe two fights before going back in. Because it not only does it discredit the win if they do win in the rematch, but you're also slowing down the division because we have number one contenders. Uh, again, I made a video earlier in the week on my YouTube saying that... No, sorry, maybe this was in an article. So yeah, just a side note to quickly plug some of my stuff My YouTube, Gladiators Den MMA. Um, I make a lot of short videos. There's going to be some long-form videos coming soon. Go subscribe. Links are in the description. And I also write for Verdict MMA. So if you're not following Verdict MMA, download the app. Follow them on Instagram, things like that. You can read my articles. I either said on my YouTube or I wrote about, I can't remember. I said that if Shevchenko was to win... Erin Blanchfield will be next for the title. Where it gets sticky is if she loses, Blanchfield is going to be sat on the sidelines now because they're going to probably rematch. So, yeah, it's just... It kind of messes up the whole situation because Blanchfield is the next in line. And Blanchfield versus Grasso appeals way more to me than Blanchfield versus Shevchenko. But... There is a part of me that is kind of hopeful that this rematch is not going to happen instantly. I'm not against seeing it, I just don't want to see it. I just don't want Grasso's first defense to be against Shevchenko. But Dana White said in the press conference, he when asked the same question that I'm talking about now, he didn't he didn't give a definitive answer. He didn't say yes, we're going to make the rematch. He said something like, it's only you guys that think about this um, straight after a fight. He's like, I don't think about that. But he lied. He he made instant rematches in the Figueiredo-Moreno fight. He made an instant rematch press conference for Usman and Colby. And I believe there's one more where he's just gone into the press conference and said, look, we're going to do it again. That fight was amazing. So I think his hesitant behavior when answering the question kind of points away from making the immediate rematch now given how dominant Shevchenko has been it's you know I'm going around in circles with myself so I'm just going to leave it there the one thing I do want to mention before moving on to the next topic or the next fight is the way that Grasso won was so reminiscent of the rockhold Wideman fight. If Shevchenko didn't throw that spinning kick. Then she wouldn't have took her back. Same thing happened with Weidman. He threw the spinning kick. Rockhold got a hold of his back. But the way that Grasso latched on. She was so fast. I mean. She jumped on her back. She didn't even have the choke locked up. She was just squeezing. There's a picture going around on social media of Shevchenko's face. And she looks like a drumstick from the pressure over her jaw. Now, what was so impressive in that choke is you see the videos of her drilling that exact movement, that exact choke in the back with her coaches. The coach throws the kick purposely missing and Grasso jumps on the back now that shows that they've done their homework that Shevchenko likes to throw these spinning kicks that if she misses there's an opportunity there to grab the back which is exactly what she did which is why I think she was so adept and so quick in doing so now it just shows to it just shows that there's levels to this game when you see the athletes drilling these winning sequences in the back with their coaches it just shows you how much goes into these fights know the build up to the fight. So we had McGregor, there's the video of McGregor before he knocked out Jose Aldo where he's he's jumping back and then hitting the left. It's that they they anticipate these things, they drill it ready for the fight. Masvidal versus Ben Askren. There's the video in the back where he's practicing the flying knee. And Leon Edwards against Usman, he he's with his coaches they'd say he drops his head, then you can throw the kick. And it's exactly what happened. It's not just the fighter that goes into the fight. They have a whole team. And they put so much work into it that... For... The casual MMA fan, let's say. They they, they miss all of this. So... When these little clips come out, it's... It's such a... Impressive feat. Yeah, it's so impressive. So... That's Alexa Grasso. And... Congratulations to her. Congratulations to Mexico. Let's hope we see a Mexican card later in the year. So the fight of the night went to Rachmanov and Jeff Neal. And rightly so. Rachmanov was coming into this fight with 16 wins and no losses. 16 finishes. 8 knockout, 8 submission. So his statistics alone show how versatile he is. And I think Joe Rogan said, and he summed it up perfectly. He said, Rachmanov is the guy that the hardcore UFC fans are excited to see. He's not a household name. So this card was perfect for him to put on a performance and make a name for himself. And he did exactly that. He was tested by Neil. He was caught a bunch of times. He had to dig deep. He had to fight extremely hard in you know, in a way that he's never had to do before, especially in the UFC. So I think he silenced a lot of doubters. He made a name for himself. So all in all, it was a great performance for him. It was similar to the Hamza Chemaev fight with Gilbert Burns. It was kind of that, okay, he's arrived performance. So... Rachmaninoff did get the finish in late in round 3 taking it to the perfect record of 17 wins and no losses which it's just at any stage in in MMA if you make it to the UFC and you have no losses there's always an argument to having the padded record It's he's only fought bombs he's only fought non-fighters outside of the promotion so to get a big win against a big name like Jeff Neal it's gonna do him the world of good so yeah I'm really excited for Raghmanov and I'm really impressed with his call out of Colby Covington after the fight because ragmanov is a guy that carries himself in a very he has a very quiet demeanor he's not He's not brash, he's not outlandish, he's not promoting himself in the the sense of a argumentative kind of guy. He's just very quiet, he has this calm demeanour. So, to call out Colby Covington was, one, a great call out, because that's an amazing fight. But two, it was kind of out of character, so I'm, I'm impressed with that. The The only other fight that, of course, anyone would like to see is Ragamanov versus Chimayev. The only issue with that is Chemayev is not fighting until after Ramadan. And there's, I mean, is he even going to fight back at welterweight? I personally don't see it. I think if he doesn't fight till after Ramadan, he's going to have been out for at least six months, right? So I think he's going to go up to middleweight, but let's see. So yeah, Rachmanov, amazing. Jeff Neal, amazing. So it's very rare. We get it every every now and again. Every, every now and again, we get a fighter that, that loses the fight, but their stock goes up, right? There's a very close fight, or they show incredible heart and grit. This is what we had with Jeff Neal. He was fighting a guy that we all expected to just blow him out of the water. He gave him a three-round war. Now, he did come in four pounds overweight, which is a big deal, especially given the one-pound leniency because it's not a title fight. But it's just kind of been brushed under the carpet because of how well he performed. He, he really did test Rachmanov. He had moments where it looked like he was going to win. And, you know, Jeff Neal's no slouch. He's just probably earned himself a big fight in his next fight. So congratulations to him too. And talking of fighters that show grit and heart is Gamrot. Now, Gamrot came into this fight against Turner on 10 days notice. Let's not forget ten days to cut weight, to prepare, etc, etc. It's not a lot. Now, a lot of fighters probably need ten weight ten days or more just to make weight. Now, Gamrock was fighting a guy that's six three in a division of 155 pounds. That's unheard of. The average height for someone in that division is like five foot nine, five foot ten. So, he was going in against a guy that had a clear, like, incredible reach discrepancy. Like, reach advantage against him. He was fighting a guy that was probably a lot stronger. He was going to be a lot more... He was posing a a very unique, a unique opposition for someone in that division. And Gamrot was as game as they come. To take the fight on 10 days notice and give what he did... I mean hats off to the guy. He's really making a name for himself these last few these last few fights. Now, he did get dominated against Dar- um, Darush, so coming in against Turner, who's a who's an up and comer in the division on short notice really does um put him back up to the top of the division. So he's he's probably won over a lot of fans as well because he was also in danger a lot in that fight. He was Caught with a bunch of knees... A bunch of right hands... We all know that Turner can really crack... So... Gamrot was very very impressive in that fight... Uh... Bo Nickel made his debut... Now... Bo Nickel is... Is one of the more decorated fighters... In the UFC... In terms of his wrestling background... Now... I am going off the top of my head on these... So I could be making a couple of mistakes... But I did write an article... On Bo Nickel for Verdict So, I believe he's 27 He attended Penn State University Which is a big university for wrestling in the US He was a three-time NCAA champion A four-time All-American And he also won the Hodge Trophy Which is a trophy that's annually presented to the best college wrestler Now, I think that's correct Don't Don't quote me If it's not, I'm very close Um, So, he completed his collegiate wrestling career and transitioned into mixed martial arts in 2022, and he only had three fights prior to the UFC this weekend. Three professional fights, and he's fighting on the main card. His total fight time before this weekend was less than two minutes. So he had professionally fought for less than two minutes in mixed martial arts, and he's fighting Jamie Pickett, who is no pushover. Yes, he's two and four in the UFC, or three and four in the UFC, or something like that. But to one to even make it to the UFC, you're you're an elite, you're an elite fighter. But Jamie Pickett has had twenty one professional fights. I think he's a big guy. He's a big, strong guy. He's experienced. He's not someone that you're easily going to go in and just blow through. Which Bo Nickel did. Now, there is the whole controversy of the low blow leading to the takedown. Now, I didn't didn't think much of it. I've looked at it a couple of times since. And I think it is a clear low blow. Now, I don't think anything's going to come of it. I I certainly don't think they're going to overturn the win or... Or do the rematch. But he does He does hit a low blow. I'm surprised that the commentators didn't pick up on it. But I don't think it affected the outcome in any way. Um, now maybe it did affect the takedown. But I don't know. I don't think it affected the fight in any way. I think Bo Nickel was going to blast through him either way. Now what's, what's most impressive with Bo Nickel is his attitude towards... MMA, he said on multiple multiple occasions, like, look, I'm I'm very far out from where I want to be, I want to be world champion, he knows that he has to, he has to fight, he has to fight more difficult opposition, now, the argument for me and a lot of the MMA community is, if you put Bo Nickel in there with the top of that division, he's probably going to do well, arguably win. Izzy versus Bonickel. Pereira versus Bonickel. I mean, there's a very, very good chance Bo-Nickel wins those fights. Now, he is still fresh in his career, so give him a couple of years. And I think it's a matter of when, not if, he becomes champion. So keep your eyes on Bonickel for sure. Um, in the prelims, we saw Cody Garbrandt get a win. Now, I, for one, am a huge Cody Garbrandt fan. Cody Garbrandt's win over Dominic Dominic Cruz is, for me, arguably, the best individual performance ever. I cannot think of an individual performance that's better than that. On that night, Cody Garbrandt was the best in the world. That one night. It's just a shame that he fell off in the manner he did since then. Now he came out afterwards saying he had a neck injury going into that fight which might explain the final round but I was so much more impressed with his his approach to the fight. He didn't once get caught in a firefight like he's done in every single one of his fights previous. Being knocked out as many times as he has in in the quick succession that he has it has to it has to damage your your confidence and your mentality going into these fights. Now he's said that he fixed a lot of his personal life with his family and things like that and that's had the best impact on his on his on his um, physical performances that it cut off, which it's hard to argue against that seeing him this weekend. But on the flip side I think if we look at it as the performance as a whole Cody Garbrandt proved that he he's got his confidence back he's still able to compete at the highest level it just does worry me is is that his level is Trevin Jones his level can he still compete with the elite guys of of the division or is he going to be still fighting the the lower end Uh, I guess I guess we'll find out it's hard to say Eric Brunson was stopped by Dricus Duplessis in the first round. Now it was refreshing to see his corner throw the towel in. It's the second time his corner have done that in his career, I believe, but it's pretty uncommon to see a corner take responsibility and, and throw the towel in. I think I think it should be done more often because fighters don't see don't see or think clearly. Their corner should take responsibility and save their fighter. Now, given Derek Brunson's age, he's pushing 40, I think. To to save any additional damage is, is of course, uh, beneficial for him. So, at the end of the first round, he was stopped. I think it was a bad miss by Herb Dean. I think he was out unconscious about three or four seconds before the tower went in. But, Duplessis has made a has been making waves. He's five and zero in the UFC now. He was unhappy about his placement on the card, which I can get on board with. He was he was unhappy that he was performance of the night. Sorry, he was fight of the night against Darren Till in his last fight, and then he was demoted to the prelims. Now, on a card as substantial as the Jon Jones return. I would also be upset. It's going to be a lot less revenue. It's going to be a lot less eyes, and yeah, he has a, he has definitely has an argument. But of course, the UFC is a business. They're pushing bone nickel. Yeah, it's it's one of those. But yeah, Duplessis made a a statement. But I do think you put him in there with some of the top guys, and I do think he gets finished. He just seems to gas. He he just, you get into the second round with Duplessis and he is absolutely shattered. He was gassed by the end of that first round. Now, albeit Derek Brunson was too, but the way he fights is super exciting. He goes 110% at 150 miles an hour from the bell. So put him in there with anyone, you're going to have an entertaining fight. That's for sure. But I do think that he is not quite at the level as the top in that division. I think you put him in there with Whitaker, Adesanya, people like that. Vittori, he does get beat. I think a interesting fight for me would be either Jared Cannonier would be a good fight. Or maybe Strickland. I think Strickland would be an interesting fight for him next. The yeah, so moving on. The last the last performance I want to talk about is Ian Gary's knockout. Now, Ian Gary, uh, of course, fighting from Ireland, is going to have these connections and comparisons to Conor McGregor. He He's a bit cringe for me. I do feel like he plays up to that Conor McGregor character a little bit because he's from Ireland. But, man, the guy's talented. He's so, so talented. He He was knocked down pretty heavily, I believe, in the first. If it wasn't the first, it was definitely the second. But he was knocked down... I think if if they wasn't as late into the round as they were, he would have been finished. That's how bad the knockdown was. And he came back and then finished with one of the slickest combinations I've seen in a while. So he was dealt the biggest the biggest hurdle in his career so far. By far the hardest fight he's had, given the knockdown, et cetera. And he had his biggest moment in the UFC with the extravagant knockout. So he made a statement for himself Which he's not fought for a while. So it's what he needed. So yeah. Another fighter that has a huge career ahead of them. Because he's only young as well. Uh, I can't remember his exact age. He's in his 20s. I should have probably checked before this. But yeah. So that's my takeaways from the UFC. Now we have a little bit of time left. I want to quickly discuss the GOATS of MMA. Now of course. Jon Jones. John Jones, John Jones, John Jones. He is the best ever. What people need to remember is the UFC, the sport in general, is only 30 years old. We don't have these comparisons like football and other sports where we can go back 100 years, we can go back 50 years. We only have 30 years history. That's two generations of fighters. It's not much to go off. But what we do have... So sorry so we don't have we don't have the years and years to go off so it's always interchanging we always have these new concepts these new fighters coming through so we just have to bear that in mind but that being said John Jones is the best and for me the reason is we have to go off the strength of competition John Jones had murderer's row when he was coming up when he won the title at 22, the light heavyweight division was the the hardest division at that time. Now, for people that are newer fans and don't understand, just go back and watch some of the fights or some of the fights from his opposition. Just to name a few, Mauricio Rua, who he won the title off; Quinton Jackson, Machida, Rashad Evans, Victor Belfort, Chel Sonnen, Gustafsson twice, uh, Glover Teixeira, Cormier twice. That is the best of the best. And this is at a time when a bunch of these fighters were on a lot of performance enhancers. This is TRT Belfort. This is juiced up Chel Sonnen. These are all fighters that were taking steroids. And he was playing with them like... Uh, like a dog plays with its with its food or whatever the saying is a lion plays with its prey I don't know and he was doing this in his 20s he was 22, 23 he was a kid when he was doing this so yeah strength of competition so that's why for me John Jones is first that's why for me um, George St. Pierre is second because again George St. Pierre not only beat people in the welterweight division once he beat them all twice he was so good he had to beat everybody again because there was nobody left to beat and at the time he was fighting he was fighting high level competition and he was fighting them for such a long period of time and again same argument for why anderson silver is number three anderson silver went unbeaten for 16 16 wins in a row. And again, did what George St-Pierre did. He beat everybody once, had nobody else left to beat, beat them all a second time. So, strength of competition. This is why, for me, Khabib doesn't even come close. This is why... This is why, yeah, this is why Khabib doesn't come close. Strength of competition. Khabib, although he was so dominant in his victories, he didn't have strength of competition to be considered the best. Also, next for me is wins and title defences. John Jones, like we said before, had multiple championship defences. 14, 13, whatever it is. GSP, multiple title defences. Anderson Silva, multiple title defences. Not only that, but to come back from a defeat and recapture a title, I think also proves... That you're one of the best to ever do it. Because the resolve it takes to come back after a defeat, especially after being dominant for so year, for so long, shows that that you you still have what it takes. GSP going up in weight um, and winning the title in middleweight against uh, Michael Bisping. John Jones going up in weight, beating Garnet. Anderson Silva, multiple title defenses. Again, Khabib has three, I think it is, three title defenses I mean, I saw a statistic that John Jones has been arrested more times than Khabib has defended his title, so, you tell me who's the best so yeah, I think I think for me if you take those things into consideration, that's how we should make the decision on who's the best, so like I've just mentioned, John Jones number one, GSP number two Anderson Silva number three If we're going to go even further, we can talk about Mighty Mouse. We can talk about Jose Aldo. We can talk about Amanda Nunes. Khabib doesn't even come close for all the reasons that I've just mentioned. So, yeah. Let's just wrap this up quickly with one last thing I want to talk about, which is The Ultimate Fighter and Conor McGregor. So, Conor McGregor has been... Allegedly, has been caught kicking off three contestants from The Ultimate Fighter to make room for his own team. Now, I actually spoke to Chris Matinho from from the I can't remember what promotion he fights in now, but he was an ex UFC fighter. He stepped in on short notice and fought Sean O'Malley and he made a name for himself because he 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 took all that damage and didn't give up, etc, etc. But yeah, I spoke to him on Instagram. I I messaged him and asked him to come on the podcast to speak about what happened with the ultimate fire. And he said he didn't want to talk about it because he didn't want to get in trouble, which to me points to some kind of foul play. So... The rumor is McGregor kicked people out of the Ultimate Fighter, which he then denied, saying that he only knew one person in the out of the contestants that had nothing to do with him. But Chris Curtis came on, I think it was on Twitter, and he said that it's all absolutely true because one of his teammates was affected. Now, now looking out for your boys, looking out for your teammates, looking out for your gym, I understand. I think it's it's kind of common for the UFC fighters who are doing the ultimate fighter to have their own teammates or gym gym mates in there I think what's not common is kicking people out on the first day of filming which is what happened to Moutinho so people went into film and then McGregor allegedly kicked them out which is kind of a shitty move but you know McGregor does have the Dana White privilege. McGregor can do whatever he wants. So, yeah. uh, McGregor kicking people out. McGregor allegedly using steroids. Are PEDs taking advantage of a potential loophole in the USADA testing pool? Sean O'Malley has said that if it's true, which, I mean... We all think that he's been taking steroids, right? Why else would you take yourself out of the testing pool? It totally makes sense. Now, I'm not, I'm not against that 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 tactic. I would probably do the same. If you're going to recover quicker, you're going to be stronger when you come back. Makes sense. But what effect is that going to have when you come off these alleged potential substances? Which is what Sean O'Malley was talking about. He said if you're juiced up on you're training hard, you have extra motivation, you're feeling strong, you're feeling energetic. When you come down or you come off these substances, it's going to have potentially the adverse effect. You're not going to want to feel like training. You don't feel as strong. You don't feel as quick. So then, is that going to play mind games with yourself? Is that going to have effects on your training? So, I'm intrigued to see what happens with McGregor because from the clips I've seen of him, he does seem to be entertaining he seems to be a good coach i think the ultimate fighter is going to be a success i for one personally love that show i can't remember if i said it on my podcast last time or i said it on my youtube channel again go subscribe to my youtube please i can't remember if i said it on that uh, i talked about how i love the ultimate fighter but i don't like this year's concept of there being a veterans and newbies in the contestants I think it should be for up-and-coming fighters making a name for themselves. I don't think it should be for people looking for a second chance. But that's what it is. Yeah, so I think McGregor and Chandler are going to be entertaining. I think it's going to make for a great fight if they're at 170, which I believe it is. I think the rumor was August-September for the fight. But I mean, McGregor needs to be in the testing pool for at least six months, right? So, uh, if he's not in the pool now, I don't know where that's going to leave him. So, yeah. And, of course, the final of The Ultimate Fighter will be on. So, they won't want to keep those fighters out in the dark for too long. But, yeah, I think that's a good place to wrap things up. If I've missed anything, I'm going to go over my notes and I'm going to add some videos to my YouTube channel. So, yeah, thanks again for tuning in. It's been a pleasure. I will be a bit more consistent with my uploads in the future i was looking to upload weekly and then that changed to monthly i'm gonna go back to either fortnightly or weekly i'm just working on a few technical aspects and some videos things like that so yeah keep an eye out follow me on instagram follow me on youtube the gladiators dem mma if you have any questions any recommendations any feedback leave a comment things like that Thank you very much. I'll see you all soon.